17 years ago, flush with cash from the nation's landmark tobacco settlement, Indiana all but declared war on smoking. The General Assembly set aside $35 million a year for smoking prevention and cessation efforts and created a standalone agency to lead the charge. Over time, however, faced with shifting budget priorities, Hoosier lawmakers folded the agencies into the State Department of Health and reduced tobacco control funding to about $5 million a year. Frustrated by those cuts, a wide range of health, business, and insurance organizations came together several months ago to call for the restoration of the previous anti-smoking appropriation, ideally through a $1.50 per pack hike in the state's cigarette tax. Hi, I'm John Chuanis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll examine what's been dubbed the Raise It for Health campaign. We'll start with this legislative update from Jake Harper of WFYI Public Media. Indiana's health is not great. The state ranks 39th in the country for its overall health. Monique French of the American Lung Association of Indiana says there's a big reason for that. Indiana's smoking rate is 20%, and 15% of pregnant mothers smoke here in Indiana. Indiana has one of the highest smoking rates in the country. Advocates say the state needs to do something to change all that. For one thing, Indiana only spends about $6 million per year on prevention and cessation efforts. The CDC recommends more than 10 times that amount. Studies have shown that raising the tax can encourage smokers to quit and keep some people from starting in the first place. Representative Cindy Kirkoffer, chair of the House Public Health Committee, authored a bill to raise the tax by $1.50, increase prevention and cessation funding, and raise the smoking age to 21. Julia Reed of the Indiana State Medical Association spoke in support of that bill earlier this month. We know that smokers start young, so pushing the age back can deter them from Ever starting. As in years past, advocates are struggling to get anti-smoking laws through the legislature intact. Kirkhoffer's efforts have already been weakened, and it remains to be seen what actually makes it to the governor's desk in the spring. For Indiana Lawmakers, I'm Jake Harper. Thanks, Jake. Back in a moment with our roundtable discussion. Indiana Lawmakers, from the State House to your house. Purdue researcher Phil Owens is creating new ways to map soil functions, improve plant growth, and increase crop yields, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org. As its name indicates, the Alliance for a Healthier Indiana, the group behind the Raise It for Health campaign, was pushing for an increase in the state's cigarette tax, primarily to curb Hoosiers' use of cancer-causing tobacco. In recent weeks, however, House Republicans have come to view the proposed hike as a way to improve the health of the state's biennial budget. Some Senate Republicans, meanwhile, aren't sold on boosting the cigarette tax regardless of where the resulting revenue might be directed. Here to discuss what's at stake are Republican Representative Cindy Kirkhoffer of Beech Grove, Chairman of the House Public Health Committee, Democratic Representative Charlie Brown of Gary, a member of that panel, Matt Will, Associate Professor of Finance at the University of Indianapolis School of Business, and Mark Rutherford, an attorney with the Indianapolis-based law firm Thrasher, Bushman, and Vocal. I thank you all for being here for this discussion. Thanks for having us. Let's start with the basics. You're, you're a sponsor, of course, uh, Cindy Kirkhofer, of, of the main piece of legislation that stemmed from the work of the Alliance in, in this campaign we alluded to. Are you drawn to this because of health issues or monetary issues? What, what's the allure? It's a healthy Indiana bill for me, uh, not a tax revenue bill. So tobacco-free. Um, my colleague here, Representative Charlie Brown, has been the, uh, shepherding this initiative for a long time, 
and I'm right there with them. It's a healthy Indiana bill. And uh, you were around when Joe Camel was just a little <laughs> pup, whatever the Pam Camel equivalent of a pup is, yes. I suppose. And I presume the same for you. You're also active in this legislation. You've proposed similar sorts of things in the past. This is a health issue for you. Yeah. We took a giant step a couple of years ago with uh, limiting uh, the, the ability to smoke in public places and then even longer years, the tobacco settlement issue where we were to receive over $2 billion in that settlement with the major tobacco companies. And Indiana was the first state to dedicate all of its revenue to health and health-related activities. I'm very proud of that. Uh, Senator Pat Miller, Senator Larry Boyce, uh, Senator um, um, By Simpson and myself, uh, we shepherded that bill through the uh, General Assembly. Uh, it's and in fact, it was the only state, if I'm not mistaken, that the CDC had certain criteria absolutely. or recommendations for what percentage of the settlement funds and Indiana was right up there. Of course, that's how things change. One in, of the most amazing years, things to me is that no one has a picture of Senator Larry Boss clipping on an earring on the on the Senate floor the day that when the bill passed. You know, sounds I, like a bet was being oh, uh, settled there. Yes, I'd always tease him. I called him my brother, and I said, "Before this is all over, Larry, I'm going to have you wearing an earring uh, in your ear." And someone passed him an earring. He put it on his ear on the Senate floor. Well, if you can't find the uh, negatives, we'll show you how to use Photoshop. I'm sure you can create that picture. <laughs> Professor, way in here. How, how pronounced is the intersection of public policy and public finance when it relates to health issues uh, tied directly to tobacco usage? You know, I think, you know, let me take a different angle because I think that the, the average citizen out there is, you know, kind of confused by this policy and that committee and the governor's budget and the revised budget put forward in, in the House. You know, here's what's really happening here. You know, I think the Democrats are probably popping champagne bottles right now because the Republicans who are, you know, one-party state we have right now are, are arguing about how much we're going to increase taxes, where we're going to increase taxes, how much we're going to spend, where we're going to spend the money. And you know, they spent eight years trying to get Mitch Daniels to do this, and the Republicans in a one-party system have done it in four years. You know, this is the, the average person out there really doesn't understand you know, the gas tax increase, the sales tax is now going to go to roads. They don't understand that. All they know is we're having you know, an increase in taxes, an increase in spending. And if you look at right now the December forecast, we're $300 million under our revenue forecast. So I'd like to know how the legislators are going to deal with a $300 million gap in our current revenue stream. So you're arguing for, you're saying, though, that would suggest, if I'm hearing you correctly, that, in fact, a tax increase is warranted for any number of reasons. We've talked about roads and bridge uh, deterioration. We've talked about certainly the desire to reinstitute smoking cessation programs at the level they were, say, 17 years ago. I'm not arguing in favor of the taxes or against the taxes. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that what we're having here is a discussion about how much to increase taxes and how much to increase spending which is never a discussion we've had, you know, eight years ago. You know, people were complaining about how much the budget was being cut, how much taxes were being cut. You know, the, the, you know, the Shepard Kernan Commission is not even in the, on the radar anymore. So there's a lot of changes that we're seeing, and it's, you know, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying there's a lot of, you know, the discussion really needs to be about do you want your taxes increased and do you want your spending increased? Do you want bigger government or not? And I'm not advocating for or against. I'm just saying that's really what's happening here. But a lot of people out there are opposed to any tax increase at all, but yet they want the services. So, you know, I don't know where that happy medium is to get. 
our constituents to understand that if you want certain things, some it's got to be paid for, and taxes may be the only way. But then many of my constituents get caught up into those organizations that say no new taxes. They sign this agreement and then get themselves in a box. Well, well a couple dozen people did, in fact, mostly Republicans, if not all Republicans. This is uh, the tax yes. you're alluding to that Grover Norquist's yes. group, uh, Americans for Tax Reform, uh, uh, has put out over the past few decades. You know, but, but here's, I guess, a question that you know, maybe the average citizen would ask. If you look at the current Office of Management and Budget forecast for revenue, it's going to go up 4.2% over the next biennial budget. That's an increase in, in revenue. So it's not as if people aren't you know, getting more revenue to spend. So this is over and above that current forecast of 4.2%. That's more than inflation. So I think you know, the, the government has more money to spend. So I can't, the argument that, well, they want more services, well, they're getting more money, so there are going to be more services. The question it, is how much more do they It's always want? smoke and mirrors with government, though, because we have portrayed ourselves as having $2 billion in a fund over here, and th th that's not hard cash over there, and yet many people are raising the question of why do we need to raise taxes if, in fact, we have this rainy day fund over oh, here. It's raining now, so use that money. Well, forecasting, of course, is an inexact science. Uh, but then you also have, on top of that, other questions this year because of the Trump administration and its stance on Medicaid reform and the uh, apparent repeal that's looming of the Affordable Care Act. So given that the state spends about, what, I think 12% of its yes. uh, revenues on Medicaid, uh, Mark Rutherford, I, I mean, is this, uh, can we even have a discussion, a logical discussion of dollars and cents right now, or is the, or is the, the tally sheet still sort of uh, a little, little well, murky? Oh, I think the tally sheet's completely murky right now. But the problem is they're discussing, you know, raising taxes, giving more services, and the question that I've got about what is being discussed is raising the money and how you do it if you need to do it. First of all, I think government should be streamlined. Most people who know me know that. That it should be very efficient, very cost efficient, and as inexpensive as possible. And what we're doing now is we're talking things such as cigarette taxes, increasing them, trying to raise revenue, and not, not always the talk, uh, and you're hearing that talk as you alluded to, not putting it for smoking cessation. If that's the, what the purpose is for, then use the money for that. But what I see happening with these taxes and the discussions going on is that we're not seeing the unintended consequences. You raise the cigarette tax, who smokes now? The fluent don't smoke as much. It's the poor. It's hurting the poor. They're the ones who have to pay for it. So why are we hurting the poor to fill gaps in the operating budget, for example? Well, do you think that, uh, and you've heard the two representatives here talk about the impetus of health uh, mm -hmm. improvement being what's behind the legislation. You, of course, for those who don't follow your career, you're a longtime libertarian, yes. active in libertarian politics, at, even at the national level. Yes. The notion of using financial levers, taxation, to compel uh, a certain action, uh, even something as laudable, perhaps, as an improvement in, in health, does that run afoul of your sensibilities? It, it, it does run afoul, and here's why, is that we need to do a better job of educating people about that, but people are going to do it. The New York Times just very recently has an article about the ATF uh, going basically off the books and is now has a $24 million lawsuit against it for a cigarette cooperative because they wanted a fund in order to not have to go through all the checks and balances for paying informants, et cetera. And the point of this is, is they're dealing with 
um, of smuggling, smuggling of cigarettes. An unintended consequence of a lot of the actions that are being taken by legislators are not being thought through, or if they are, they're, they're, they're not saying it. You have increased law enforcement costs if you raise taxes on things such as smoking. You have people who will then step over the line and break the law. You'll have people who will, if people want to smoke, they're going to smoke. And if you're a poor person who doesn't have much money, you're addicted to cigarettes, you're going to take the risk that you're going, if the cigarettes are too expensive, to go to another state or go to a, a cigarette smuggler to get your, your smoke. But Mark, we're getting lost in the weeds. Because, mm -hmm. you know, if you look at the, you know, you mentioned the budget, John, about how much is increasing for health. The budget, the proposed budget has a 9% increase over two years. A 9% increase. So that's going to take money away from other parts of the budget. How do you solve it? And that, that's where these two folks have the challenge is how do you fill those holes? Because I did mention that the budget's growing more than inflation. So now let me contradict myself and say this part of the budget's growing much more than inflation. So that means you're going to have to cut somewhere else or raise revenue. And that's the challenge they have. They have to either cut or raise revenue to compensate for that 9% increase in health and human services. Right, and I understand that. And there's major, major problems that need to be dealt with, but the legislature needs to be going and attacking that and cutting where it can cut. Instead of saying that it's going to raise, mm -hmm. how do we cut it? So the federal government and our deal as a state of Indiana with it for health services, it's raising, it's costing more, we've got to cut somewhere else. These are tough decisions. I don't relish your guys' job, to be honest with you. It's a hard job. I understand that, but it has to be done. Well, we've got two guys who want to talk money and the two representatives <laughs> who want to talk health. But again, the two are, I think we can stipulate, linked. This notion, do you have any concern about compelling public conduct or personal conduct in the case of, of smoking rights and so forth, using taxes as a, as a hammer? I mean, you, obviously you've, you've moved past any objection or right. hesitation what, you might have had. No, I certainly don't feel that way. I also don't agree with the smuggling concern. Um, I can't quote, uh, quote statistics right now, but it's my understanding that there's only one state right now that has a lower cigarette tax rate than Indiana. And so um, I think even in the Chicago least, area. Certainly in the surrounding states, Kentucky. Uh, which the is, border states, yes. Yeah, uh -huh, yeah. Yes. So the, the thought of smuggling doesn't concern me too much. Um, when I survey my district, it's not a scientific survey, it's a random survey, but when I uh, uh, survey my constituents, they are willing to incur higher taxes if they see a return on their investment. So whether we're talking roads, whether we're talking healthier Indianapolis or Indiana, I'm sorry, I live in Indianapolis area, but they're willing to fund those services if they see a return for their money. And do you see that kind of tax increase, and by that tax kind of a tax increase, I'm talking about cigarette tax increase, as being uh, the same, synonymous with other types of, of tax increases, say the fuel tax, uh, which is proposed to go up 10 cents, or is this the notion that, well, you have options, you know, you can, it's more of a, shall we say, a sin tax. It's not a, you don't have to swallow as hard and hold your nose as a right. Republican to. Well, the goal is that it's the law of diminishing returns, isn't it? Because you're hoping to drag down cigarette smoking. So if we're successful in a tax, making it less likely for um, even younger children to begin, teenagers to begin smoking. Our goal is to have the law of diminishing returns where um, we won't have to worry about receiving that tax. And then, much then the money folks are really going to get nervous yes, because now right. that pool of money has disappeared. Right. The smuggling issue, let's touch on that because you live close to a border now. Nobody's necessarily going from your district up to Chicago where I think in the city they pay yeah. close to seven bucks in taxes when you it's put the, the county. It's the reverse. Yeah. But I have seen studies that show that uh, there's not a direct correlation necessarily between 
an increase in taxes and people quitting smoking because there is almost inevitably, the research shows, a spike in either formal or informal smuggling. And the fact is, there's some data that shows that even when Illinois raised their taxes, they did not lose revenue. Ours did not increase as a result of more smokers coming over from the uh, uh, Illinois. And the reverse is true, that it's projected that if we raise ours, and I had a bill that raised it by two bucks as opposed to the 150. Uh, and, and now it looks like it'll be a buck. If, right, uh, it's, now been that it's been woven into the budget, well, at least on the House side. Yeah, we got a long way to well, go. Well, yes, we do. <laughs> Luke Kinley on the Senate side may have a thing oh, or two to say yes. about that. So, oh, uh, yes. But you may take up smoking by the time this is all done. Just, uh, you may be. Uh, nonetheless, uh, we have to look at the balance. How much do we spend in terms of health care for the poor that we're talking about, that we're trying to get them to stop smoking? How much do we pay in terms of providing health care for them while at the same time trying to get more of them off of the smoking roads? That's why so much of it needs to be de- de- dedicated to smoking cessation programs and education about the harm of, of smoking. Uh, uh, the biggest boogeyman out there uh, uh, is the casinos. They st- uh, hammer into the, uh, the higher-ups that we cannot have no smoking in the casinos because you're going to lose revenue state. I don't think that's necessarily true. In Illinois, our neighbor has proven that. They don't allow smoking in their casinos. And yes, there was a dip for a while, but I think most of that was due to the economy that when they lost money. I think it's going back up now uh, by virtue of uh, them having uh, smoke-free casinos. And given your district, you care more than a, have a, more than a passing interest in the fortunes of uh, casinos. Certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do want to dovetail into what Representative Charlie Brown said, and that a statistic I can quote is the Department of Health tells us for every pack of cigarettes sold, it costs the state and us taxpayers $16. Every household, almost $1,000. I mean, do those numbers sound right to you from an economic standpoint? We also have seen numbers that the Chamber and others, the Alliance, have cited saying that for every smoker mm-hmm. employed uh, in, a, in the workplace setting, that's what, 2000 and uh, in change in terms of direct health care costs and another $3,000 mm-hmm. per year tied to that employee in lost productivity. Are those, are these numbers that you would, that may seem logical to you as a, uh, as a mathematical kind you know, of guy? I've looked into this before and I can tell you as a recovering actuary, you know. Oh, I, my, I, goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. We've got five more shows now <laughs> to get this. Like I said, I'm in recovery, so everything's fine. But the problem is you can look at, there's so many studies. There's special interest groups. They fund this study. They fund that study. And they very much contradict each other. So we don't really know for sure the answer to those questions. And and I think there's another element here that we're kind of uh, missing, and that is we've got the opioid problem. We've got rural health care issues. And, you know, we got a Gary in Indianapolis rep here, but if you were to have someone, you know, from from Jasper, Indiana come on the show, they would tell you quite differently that their problems are not, you know, the same. Tobacco isn't their number one concern. It's opioid use, and of course, it's the fact that they don't have much health care choices. You know, they're, they're, they're almost a monopoly on their local health care. So there's a lot more to health care than simply tobacco and where we're going to spend this money. 
Boy, I can see you're looking at me just taking years <laughs> off my life as you sit here looking at me. I'm you sorry. You're scaring me, Mr. Actuary. <laughs> yeah. uh, go ahead, Mark. But, but the issue is, is using tax policy to, for behavior is really a problem because maybe smoking has some legitimate reasons to be a concern, but when does my chocolate, which I like, or my pecan pie, which I like, become a problem to the state and diminished? Where is the dividing line? That's a big concern that I have. And the other concern I have is that, Again, the, 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 this is federal statistics I was seeing the other day, is that the affluent aren't smoking. The poor still are smoking. So instead of doing taxes that hurt them and trying to stop what they're doing, we need to see why are they smoking. I don't think we're really addressing that. What is it about their lives? What is it about our society, our culture that is causing that, and how do we tackle it? I'm very happy for the Chamber of Commerce to say smoking costs uh, their, their members money. That, that is an, a group that, that they're looking at that from a different perspective. They're trying to do changes within the culture itself and not trying to drive it through tax policy, which I think has huge risks. Well, Mark, you know, you're, you're, I think you're, um, you're, you have the, op the absolute answer here. We just need to put billboards and Carmel and Fisher saying, help the budget start smoking. And I think that'll solve all the problems. <laughs> or well, run, run for the general assembly. Then you can... You can I'm that. sure he's thought about yeah, it before. Yeah, As a libertarian, yeah, he would donate his salary back to the budget, right? Oh, 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 oh my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Bill certainly, as it was introduced, uh, said he would, was, tried, took, was a three-pronged approach. Of course, there was this notion that Mark Rutherford just alluded mm -hmm. to, that you would have initially a proposed $1.50 per pack increase that would ideally bring down the numbers. But then also you wanted to raise the minimum age at which somebody could legally buy tobacco products from 18 to 21. And then now that it's been through committee and, and is headed to the House floor, the only thing that's really left at this point, because the money part is now part of the, the House budget, is the repeal, proposed repeal, of the so-called Smoker's Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. Is that a big deal to you? It is a big deal. Um, first of all, it was a four-prong approach. It was the tax, the uh, raise the age to 21. 95% of all smokers will tell you they began before age 21. Um, it was restore a more robust uh, cessation program and repeal preferential treatment for smokers. So I'm not going to name any names, but I'm, I'm out in the hallway in the General Assembly this week, and someone asked to speak with me, and I came out to speak with that individual who's a smoker. And... Um, just standing within two feet proximity was pretty offensive. So um, repealing the, the preferential smoker treatment would sit well with me. When I was looking back in 1991 when the so-called Smoker's Bill of Rights was enacted uh, by the Indiana General Assembly, I was shocked. I almost fell out of my chair. I don't want to recreate it here. When I saw that you were a co-author of that bill, you were Mr. Anti-Smoking. Yes. Reconcile that. What, yes. was the, what were you thinking back uh, then? Looking, what were you smoking back looking, then? Look, <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to conference committee where, so that I have some input in whatever's going to be the final product there. Uh, we've got a long way to go. I, I don't get bent out of shape this early in the session because we know that conference committee time at the end is when things really get rolling, and that's when major... Uh, decisions will be made, and if I'm there, I'll, they need my signature on that conference committee report in order to present it to the entire body. How big, how big is, okay, now we see the method to the madness. Yeah. How big is this notion of a repeal in terms of the economy? We hear employers want that. They, uh -huh. they want a, a workplace climate that's conducive to this, and it's costing employers money. Is that legit? 
Yeah, I mean, it, the, if you talk to the Chamber of Commerce, and I don't speak for them, they want anything that's going to be as friendly as possible to their workers so they can bring people to the state. You know, you got to remember, this, yeah. this employee, this workforce now is different than it was 20 years ago. Quality of life matters. Their community matters. The services that are provided. You know, a healthy workforce. You know, you go in San Francisco and you look at uh, Google and, and those companies. You know, they have free, you know, free food, free health care, free child care on site. They want people to want to work there. So the employer is going to want anything that makes it more attractive and appealing to have someone come work for them. And I'm guessing, uh, final word, that from a libertarian standpoint, uh, that's just fine with you if uh, that repeal were to occur. With the smokers, right? Right. Well, you know. I guess that's, there's two sides to that in terms of. Yeah, there, there, there's several sides to that. But again, it really boils down to is, is that. Why are we even dealing with that? If whoever, whatever people want to do in their home and in, in their place of work and their business, they should be able to do so. There are limits on hurting other people physically, et cetera, on that. But it, it, I think culturally we do way better by having the businesses say, don't smoke here. That has more of an impact than anything the legislature can do, in my opinion. All yeah, right. Sometimes businesses want protection from the legislature. All right, Mr. Actuary. Uh, <laughs> We've scratched the surface once again. Uh, we've proven that we don't have enough time to discuss an important issue. Uh, we'll be watching conference committee so we can uh, see what in fact happens. But I do appreciate the input and observations you all have uh, offered to us today. Again, my guests have been Republican Representative Cindy Kirkhoffer of Beech Grove, Democratic Representative Charlie Brown of Gary, University of Indianapolis Finance Professor Matt Will, and Indianapolis Attorney Mark Rutherford. Will Jennifer McCormick be the last elected superintendent of public instruction? Elected versus appointed on the next Indiana Lawmakers. And time now for our weekly conversation with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, are cigarette taxes seen as regular taxes or are they easier for uh, conservatives and Republicans who are under pressure not to support taxes, easier for them to swallow? This session we're seeing something strange in terms of, of how taxes are treated because a lot of legislators are trying to portray things as user fees. The gas tax increase, for example, you know, saying that this is something that would only be imposed upon people who are going to be using the roads. It's a user fee. That doesn't ring true with Americans for tax reform. The same thing with, with cigarettes. You know, if, if uh, a non-smoker is, is not going to be taxed, no big deal. But ATR and everybody says, hey, you know, the people who use it are still being taxed. So it's not really a user fee, it is a tax. And, and we're, we're getting into some of these, uh, you know, dancing on the head of, of a pin kind of arguments with respect to the user fees, but it's more politically palatable to call them that. But then the question becomes, all right, if you're gonna call it a user fee, do you use it for the purpose to which it was intended? So did the, the tobacco taxes go back to smoking cessation funds, public health funds, just like the gas taxes would theoretically go back to roads and transportation. Because smoking cessation now gets about one-fifth, I think, $7 million, or would be in the proposed budget versus $35 million after the tobacco settlement. And, and still gets cut. And, and that's something that the, uh, the public health people have been very concerned about in recent years. Well, whether you call it a tax increase or a fee, user fee increase, we know Luke Kenley, the, the budget architect on the Senate side, isn't necessarily fond of this approach. What, what are we going to see here in the next few weeks or months? I think he, he's very concerned about that backfill on the, the roads and transportation bill, and, and he's looking at how to, to, uh, to kind of reallocate re, uh, some of the revenue when you, you move some of the, the gas taxes from the, the general fund to their intended use or whatever. And he's worried about this being diminishing returns because and, if it does 
this way people from smoking, then you you need to replace it it perhaps with a general tax increase. Or or tolls for roads. Do you think, though, we will see, uh, will people be paying more for taxes come July 1st or 2nd when laws are in? One way or another, they will be. Interesting. All right, Ed, as always, appreciate your insight. We'll see you next week. For more information, episode streams, and other extra content, visit us on the web at wfyi.org lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanis. And on behalf of WFYI Public Media, Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, and my colleagues at Feigenbaum and Jay Carper, Thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for more Statehouse coverage. Until next week, take care. Purdue startups speak modalities, helping children and families coping with nonverbal autism to develop communication skills, helping people changing lives. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org.